Well, let me pray for us as we stand together. Heavenly Father, these, these words are wonderful and encouraging, but we know that our hearts are far from constant. So as we look at your word, please would you help us to see the King who is worthy, so that we will love and adore him, so that we will bow before him. And so, Lord Jesus, that we will live our lives for you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, do take a seat and be great if you could uh, grab one of the Bibles near you and open it back up to Deuteronomy 4. I think it's on page 182. <clears throat> it is great, isn't it, being able to send great guys like Tim um, and Jason off to work with UCCF. Uh, it's great to send uh, Fullwood people to work with UCCF. I wonder if those letters now stand for Undercover Christchurch Fullwood, which would be nice. Well, hopefully you've got um, a Bible open in front of you. And in, in your kind of um, service sheet tonight, there might be an orange sheet or a, a white one with some writing on it. That's just a kind of outline for a talk that, uh, this evening. That might help you uh, just to follow along. Well, for many people uh, who are not Christians, Jesus, I guess, continues to be a figure of interest, uh, a topic of historical discussion, perhaps even someone who inspires alongside people like Gandhi, uh, Martin Luther King, Buddha, a bit no more than that, really. I've even found amongst uh, Christians at times a reluctance in speaking about Jesus. I remember when I came to Sheffield, I was working with UCCF. I I went to a couple of Christian Union meetings, and I heard five people uh, over the course of a a week or two in their meetings speak uh, about uh, being a Christian. And they mentioned, well, they mentioned God and the Bible, but... Not a single one mentioned Jesus by name, which I thought was strange. Uh, And it's even more odd when you listen to Jesus' words towards the end of Luke's Gospel. They're on the top of your sheet there. He says this, uh, well, Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets and the Psalms. See, the whole Bible is about him, apparently. And Luke ends his book with people who've understood this Jesus, worshipping him and enjoying his blessing. Why is that? Why is that? And and what about you? You come here to Philwood tonight. Have you perhaps grown a little cold towards Jesus? What will make you want to bow down and worship Well, as we continue our studies in Deuteronomy, uh, part of this Bible that is all about him, I hope we'll understand why Jesus is unique. Have you got Deuteronomy 4 open in front of you? And Moses' sermon here, and it is a sermon, seems to have a kind of structure to it. It, It's almost like it's got parallel parts with a a central section. I've kind of put an outline for you on your sheet. I, I think the idea, the way he structured his talk that's written here for us is, is that the punchline comes in the middle and it's bracketed with other things he wants to say. So we'll, we'll kind of follow it through that way. Uh, so first of all, in verses 1 to 4 and verse 40, it's this, listen up and live. How well you listen usually depends on how important you think the information is. So that, that phone conversation with the friend who can talk, uh, where you allow your mind to fog over and it doesn't make too much difference, It is different, isn't it, to how you listen, standing on a plane, receiving instructions before your first parachute jump, if you were ever to do that. 
And there's no fog in your mind then, is there? You hang on every word as if your life depended on it, which is good because it does. So let me ask you a question. How well do you listen at church on a Sunday? There's a little scale on your sheet. Put yourself on it. Uh, how well do you listen? Is it, is it foggy phone call to parachute jump? Whereabouts would you be? At which end are you closer to? Be honest. You don't need to tell anyone else, but just tell yourself. Well, see, Moses says his sermon is like parachute jump instructions. It's one of those times when you need to listen as if your life depended on it, which is good because it does. Hey, just look at verse 1. And this is what he says. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live. And he says much the same in verse 40. And if you're thinking, is he serious? Well, look at verse 3. Oh, you'll hear him say these words. You saw what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Now, that whole story is in Numbers 25. You can read it later if you want. It was the people's most recent rebellion, lured into sexual immorality, the end in blatant idolatry. Now they face God's judgment and 24,000 people die. You see what Moses is saying? Listening to God's word may feel like a foggy phone conversation at times, but it's a matter of life and death. So you come back from the youth house party, perhaps, and the excitement of the Bible talks already seem like a distant memory. I know how you feel. I read my Bible, but my mind often fogs. And like the rest of you, I guess, I often read it as if it's just a book full of helpful advice. Well, that's a bit like saying a parachute is an advisable addition to a skydiver's uniform. See, God's word is not advice. Your life depends on a right response to it. And verse 2? Well, don't add to it or subtract from it. Leave it the way it is. Listen up and live. See, I've never met Moses, but he's got my attention. So here's the second thing. In verses 5 to 8 and 32 to 39, it's, it's one God, no rivals. You could think God is some kind of petulant child demanding that we listen to him speak, demanding that we listen to his word. You think like that and you've missed the point. You see, we're to listen to God as we'll see because there's no better person to listen to. Jason Clark, our former associate vicar, as we were speaking about him, he works for UCCF now, obviously, as we've said. I was sad that he was finishing here, so I got him to have a little office in my house, my own little personal Jason Clark, just in the next room. And don't get me wrong, Jason's good at a number of things. You'll know that. It's just that computer installation isn't his best, which is why you'd be surprised to visit his office. His computer is up and running perfectly. It is networked into the house router through a USB Wi-Fi box. You see that, and you look at Jason, and you think, wow, he knows his stuff. He's a wise man, isn't he? But he's also honest. So Jason will tell you the reason he can get all that kind of stuff to work 
is because of a former student called Andrew. See, with, and, with computers, Andrew's in a class of his own. He's always as near as a phone call, and his instructions make even Jason look wise with computers. Well, that's verse 6, isn't it? That's verse 6. Uh, Moses says, God's word will make Israel look wise. Not about computers, but about life. Observe God's commands carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The other people will look at them and say, wow. And it's because of two privileges. At verse 7, God is near to you. When you pray, he's even closer than that at the other end of a phone. He's close by to help. And verse 8, God's laws are righteous. You live this way, and people will look at you and say, well, you look like you know what you're doing. See, Israel become unique because God is unique. Well, the Creator knows how life works, so having His word on life, well, that's the biggest blessing you could get. If this is the one God who has no rivals, and you respond to His word, see, of course you'll live in a way that stands out. Again, you see what the Bible always wants to tell us. God doesn't rescue people who live in a way that stands out. No, he rescues people, sets them free so they can live in a way that stands out. Uh, Do you know, I wonder if Christians aren't sometimes so busy at convincing their friends that we're really just the same as everyone else, that we forget we're not. I know we need to break down uh, that Christians are just weird stereotypes, and we don't want to be arrogant, but if your life as a Christian is not different... Well, something's wrong. God is unique. And his uniqueness will start to be seen, not in the way he looks, but in the way his people look as they respond to his word. And people should say, well, why do they spend their money that way? Why do they want to keep sex from marriage? Why do they face death with confidence through tears? Why do they forgive each other when they mess up? Well, it's because they know the one God who has no rivals. If you're not convinced this God really is in a class of his own, just look at the parallel section. And Moses tells us to look everywhere and see if we can find something to match God. Just just look at verse 32. Here's what he says. Ask now about the former days. Long before your time, ask from one end of the heavens to the other. You get the idea. Look anywhere you want. Historically, geographically, you won't find anything as incredible as this. Do you want to know what it is? I've looked at it already. Shall I tell you? Just like there were two privileges, there are two incredible things. I'll let you know what they are. Here they are. Verse 33 is this. God has spoken. Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire and lived? And here's the second thing. God has rescued. 
Has any other God tried to take for himself one nation out of another by testings, miraculous signs and wonders, war and so on? That's the two incredible things. That God has spoken and God has rescued. You're not impressed, are you? Well, the trouble is we often get excited by the wrong things, don't we? Men, it's, it's gadgets, it's football, it's iPods. Women, it's weddings, it's shoes, it's chocolate fondue. Look, there will always, there'll always be new gadgets, won't there? And there will always be new styles of shoes every time you shop. But there is something that is standalone. It's something unique. And you won't find it anywhere else. You might find something that tries to imitate it, but that's all it is. It's an imitation. And the thing that is unique is this. The real God has made himself heard. He has spoken. And it's this rescuing God who says, you need to be rescued. If you want to know God, if you want to know God, you know him on these terms. See, that's what verse 35 is saying, isn't it? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. One God, no rivals. Now that means a few things for us, doesn't it? It means something about other religions. Yeah, at work, you might hear people saying things like, well, all religions are basically the same. Well, that's not true. And it's not just that they're less developed than Christianity, they're false. There's one God, no rivals. And see, we can't ever say we've got something to learn about God from other religions. Because that would suggest that this God can't communicate himself. And he says he can. In fact, he's the only one who can do that. You want to get to know him? Well, get excited about listening to what he says. And it might be that you're here and you're not a Christian and you've just been saying to a Christian friend who brings you along, I I just can't seem to get through to God. He doesn't seem to want to convince me or speak to me. Well, see, that's not true. God has spoken. And listen to him if you want to. Here's his word in front of you. Here is his word, so hear his word. But I guess if we want to really understand what... Uh, This sermon of Moses is all about, we we should let Moses do the talking as we come to the heart of this passage. A friend of mine, a guy called Richard, was at a party with his wife. It was at her boss's new house, or rather her new boss's house. Richard is one of those guys with a a low boredom threshold and he he found some paraffin. You can imagine where the story is going. I I think I'd once told him that I used to do a bit of fire breathing and I thought you could use paraffin uh, because it would burn at a low temperature. So Richard, bored as he was, took some paraffin, uh, poured it into his um, palm of his hand in the corner of this living room of a house he didn't know anyone of and and lit it. And then got a bit of a fright and shook his hand and the paraffin ran all over his hand. His wife turned around to see him with a huge flaming torch of a hand in her new boss's house. At home... I think she hammered home the phrase, don't play with fire. And that's sort of what Moses says here at the heart of his sermon. He says, idolatry is playing with fire. 
verses 9 to 31. See, after telling us about this one God who has no rivals, and Moses' main point seems to be, stay away from idolatry, verse 15. And therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape. And then he tells us not to make an idol like people or like animals or like birds, fish, sun, moon or stars. I read that and I think, well, really? To be honest, I don't think I'm likely to do that, am I? I'm not about to make a fish shape and sit it on my mantelpiece at home and, and bow down to it. And I doubt you are either. See, all that big build-up from Moses, and he says, don't make something that looks like a, a dog and, and stick it on your shelf. It's almost a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? But just give Moses a moment. You, you might not have noticed, because we didn't read all of it, but he actually says, be careful, three times in this passage. In verse 9, in verse 15, in verse 23, he says, be careful. So we better do that. Let's just look again. Why does he want us to be careful? He tells the people, verse 9, Do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Now, there was fire and there was a cloud in verse 11. But notice what they saw. It comes in verses 12 and verses 15. At verse 12, You heard the sound of words but saw no form. You saw no form, verse 15, of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you. It's odd, isn't it? Remember what you saw. You saw nothing. Well, it's not odd, is it? Because we remember relating to God properly is not about what you see. It's about what you hear. And it's his word that's meant to shape all of my life. And if you're like me, you start to think, well, does it, actually? Do I listen? Uh, Moses says, be careful. As you listen carefully, you start to notice some of the other details in what Moses says here. All that stuff about God speaking out of fire. Did you notice that? God speaking out of fire. It just sounds a bit melodramatic, doesn't it? big flame, God speaks out of it. But then you get to verse 24 and you understand the fire was a visual aid illustrating something about God's character. Just, just look at it from verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A, a jealous God. That's what all that fire was illustrating. Jealousy is very often negative, isn't it? In Shakespeare, Othello is told, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. But there is a right time for jealousy, isn't there? The husband whose wife starts flirting with other men should be jealous. Theirs is meant to be a faithful relationship. If he wasn't jealous, we'd wonder about his love. So too with God. And you understand what we're being told. Because there is one God, he will tolerate no rivals. If you or I or the people of Israel were to set up a false God, an idol, and start to give our affection to that, God will not have it. 
The girls, you, you find your, your boyfriend continually sees other girls behind your back. You wouldn't stand for that. And God will not continue a relationship with people who are two-timing him. If you play with the fire of idolatry, you will get burned. And it's even more unsettling when you come back to that list of things that we're not to make an idol out of in verse 16. And Moses says, be careful. And then you realize, as you, as you look at the list he gives, it's cropped up in the Bible before. People, animals, birds, fish, sun, moon, and stars. It's that summary list God used in Genesis 1 to describe all of his creation. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they'll believe in anything. Do you see what Moses is saying? Instead of listening to the true God, you will worship just about anything in creation. See, that's the Bible's assessment of, of me and of you and of all people. Instead of listening to and trusting God, we turn the whole of creation into a factory for making idols. Now, do you feel yourself enticed to worship other things? Sex, money, myself, uh, the thrill of indulging lustful thoughts, the greed-driven pursuit of money, the rush of independent selfish living, uh, the unwillingness to settle for less possessions than my neighbours. We can even do it with church things, can't we? Instead of wanting to listen to God, live a life shaped by his word, I expect the church family to be a place where I'm entertained. The idolatry of my own pleasure. See, I can turn anything into an idol. Then what about you? You listen to Moses carefully, and it's very troubling, because I start to suspect that I'm an idolater, and God will not have it. There is one God, no rivals. I just understand what God's plan for people was. I called out of Egypt in verse 20. Just have a look at it. Uh, This is what it was all about. He says this at the end, to be the people of his inheritance, just there at the end of verse 20. Well, inheritance, that's the language of family. This God who offers a family relationship to people, to be like a father to them, to provide an inheritance for them, to share all that he has with them. But the dark cloud that hangs over Deuteronomy, you see, these people get into God's land, but they do turn to idolatry. And they stop listening. Verse 27 happens to them. They're sent away from God. They forfeit his blessing. They are left with their false gods, verse 28, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. And they're pathetic. And they don't satisfy. Have you noticed that? Even with the little idols that you make, they never really satisfy. A lust always leaves behind the sediment of guilt. Greed never has enough. Living for self actually seems to make you less complete. We long for something else, but we look in all the wrong places. C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, 
The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And we were made for God. But the dark shadow of Deuteronomy hangs over us. We don't live wholeheartedly for him. And he will not have it. You start to listen to Moses' words carefully again, looking for some kind of hope for idolaters like us. And we find just a glimmer near the end in verse 31. Now we read these words. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. See, Moses' words should humble us. And said is looking for mercy. We're hanging by a thread, wondering if God can find a people who will be true to his word. Who will live trusting what he says. Who have the right to enjoy his blessing. And wondering if he will find a way to be merciful to people like us. In some ways, it's what the rest of the Bible is looking for. As we finish, would you turn over to John chapter 1, the other reading we had earlier. It's on page 1063, I think, in your Bibles. And just have a look down at verse 14. You see what we're told there. We read these words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here's a life that is described as God's word. Here's a life that, according to Deuteronomy, would have the right to enjoy God's blessing. And we're told who lives this life in verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's the one who lived the life Israel should have lived. He's the one who lived the life we should have lived. John will tell us in the rest of his book that this Jesus dies on a cross, not for himself, but for others. Enduring God's just punishment that should have been yours. And do you see what he's done in verse 12? Uh, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's that language of family. It's God's plan that we saw in Deuteronomy to call a people into his family to share an inheritance with them. And it's yours not on the basis of the life you've lived but on the basis of the life he's lived. It's yours not on the basis of the life you've lived but on the basis of the death he died. The speaking God has spoken and he tells us that we're idolaters. That we cannot live the life we should. That we always want to ignore his word but he has come. The word of God and spoken a final word of rescue in Jesus Christ. Will you listen up and live? See, Jesus is not an interesting figure on the pages of history. He is our speaking and rescuing God who has no rivals. If we trust him, his life and death secures us. 
and we receive his blessing. And that's why we should worship him and live for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, your word often uh, casts a very uncomfortable light on us. Uh, It shows up our sin, our idolatry, that we don't really listen to you. But thank you, Father, that light you shine on us also casts its light on the cross, on the Lord Jesus, and shows us where to find safety and security, forgiveness and love. And we thank you so much for our unique Lord Jesus our speaking and rescuing God. Help us to trust him. Amen.